I'm going to come down here with you guys, if that's all right. Good morning. Ain't it a beautiful day outside? Uh, by the way, the, the prettiest of the band this morning was the keyboard player. I don't know if... Of course, it's, you know, you don't have to go very far when you got Andrew up there about being beautiful. I'm just kidding. Uh, my name is Matt Best. I'm the youth and young adults pastor here at Woodburn Baptist. And um, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we can dwell under your wings. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Uh, Lord, even though that we may drift, we may sway from time to time, we may go up and down in our love for you, God, your love remains steady. Lord, I thank you so much that no matter how far we go, that you want us back. No matter how far we drift, you want us to come back to you because you love us so much. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would just speak to us. Lord, that's what we need. We need to go deeper in our relationship with you. We need to know you in a greater way. We need to get idols out of our life. Lord, we need your touch this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to kind of be going back and forth from Revelation chapter 2. In Acts chapter 19, so if you want to kind of put your finger in Revelation 2, we will be in Acts 19 quite a bit this morning. Uh, let me ask you this question and to begin with. How many of you, you can raise your hand on this one, okay? How many of you remember the way it was when you started dating the one that you love? Raise your hand. You remember those days. Uh, well, I can, I can say, I'm not going to try to embarrass my wife too much, uh, but I remember those days. I, it may have been similar to this in, in your relationship, but those days when, it, when the love first started, you'd sit across the table from each other, or you'd sit on the couch with each other, and you'd just kind of look at each other with those eyes, you know, and you're like, hey, baby, you know. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see, some, I can see Warren doing that, you know, looking at Margie going, hey, baby, you know. Can, can y'all see that happening? Probably not. Uh, but those goo-goo eyes, as we like to say, you know, those, those eyes that you had for each other, those conversations on the phone, uh, not texting, but when you're talking to each other, and some of you guys had never talked on the phone more than three minutes to your grandma, uh, but when you got that girl, you know, you, you were talking on for hours upon hours, and then you had, I don't know if y'all did this, but I know I did this, it was so dumb, but it was good. Uh, we would have these phone games where you would like, no, uh, you'd, say, you'd say bye, and, and she'd go, no, no, you, you got to get off the phone. No, no, you get off the phone first. No, you hang up first. No, no, you do it. And you're like 45 minutes later, you're still going, bye, I love you. No, I love you more. I love you. And it's like, really? At, co at college... We still do that. Me and my wife still do that every day. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I remember at college, uh, I w we went to a small uh, free will Baptist college in North Carolina. I mean, it was really small, like 150 students. And after a certain time of the night, you couldn't see each other again. It was like 9 o'clock, okay? We had to go to our dorms, okay? And we had what's called Pony Express. And that's where they, we write letters to each other. Then somebody would run the letters to the other dorm, and you'd go to the door and get those letters from your sweetheart, 
And I'd go, you know, those are the times you just, you just could not wait for. You just saw each other three minutes before. But you could not wait for that letter, okay? And I remember going to the door, and, and I'd have like six or seven letters from girls that were trying to get me to date them. But I, there was only... <laughs> okay, I lied in church, you know. But uh, that one letter from my girlfriend slash fiance slash wife now would come. And the first thing I would do is not read it. It'd be smell it. How many of y'all got a perfumed letter at some point in your life? Good, I'm the only one. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I would smell that letter, and you're like, oh my goodness. And it was just the greatest thing ever. And I'd sit there and read that letter and smell that letter. You know, now teenagers, they text each other, and they don't really smell their phones, I don't guess. But, uh, <laughs> but the truth is that first love was, was unbelievable because it was all about getting to know them. It was all about them. It was all about spending time with that person and just thinking about that person. And it, that's the only thing that you could have in your mind. And it was unbelievable. But what happens to that, that first love? Uh, for some, it comes and goes. It's like a wave. It, you'll have high times and low times and... It's, it's good at times and bad at times. Some, for some, it completely fails. And you see the end of those relationships. And some, it stays strong until the very end. And those are the ones you look at and you say, that is an amazing, amazing thing. That first love. Now, what about when you first gave your life to Christ? I remember the day that I got saved. I didn't really know a lot about church. I hadn't been going to church very long. And I got saved as a teenager and I didn't really understand so much what Christ did for me, but I remember the night that I got saved. And I remember sitting or laying in the bed that night, and I started going over what had just happened. And I could not get out of my mind that Jesus saved me from my sins, and I don't have to go to hell now. And that thought started going over in my mind, and, and I, I had heard the hymn, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And I remember singing that in in the bedroom that night at my brother's house and thinking, I love Jesus so much right now. I don't even know anything really about him, but I could not get him off my mind. I could not get what he did for me off my mind and how much he loved me. You know, our relationship with God can go like that. Much like a relationship with our first love or our wife or our husband, it can kind of go up and down at times. And Jesus loves us so steady. He's like, he loves us no matter what we do, no matter how far we drift. He says he wants that relationship with us. But so many times we put other things in his place. Today we're going to look at a church, a group of followers from, from the church at Ephesus. And see how their love relationship was with Christ and see how it kind of went up and down at times. Let's look at Revelation chapter 2, verse number 1. The Bible says this, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Verse 2, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Okay, you can be seated. We're going to get to the other part here in, a, here in a few minutes. If you stop right there, there's some amazing things that Jesus says about the church at Ephesus. He says, 
You are hard-working people. You are a busy people. You know the truth of Scripture. You are doctrinally sound. You can't stand those who are evil. If you were to look at this church from the outside, from a human point of view, this is an amazing, amazing church. This is a church that you would want to be a part of. They know their Bible. They know how to work hard. They even suffer for Christ. It is a great great church. This is the church that you want to be a member of. But, look at verse number four. And this is Jesus talking. These are red letters. He says this, but I have this complaint against you. All those good things, all those good things, and then he has a complaint against them. He says, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. And then look at this. Look at this, this threat. He says, if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches to everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. All these great things, all these great aspects that this church has, which are things that any church would want. And then he says, this is what I have against you, and it's the most important thing, because if you don't get this right, if you don't love me and love each other the way that you need to, I'm going to take away your influence. I'm going to take away what is your church, and it will be gone forever. From the point that this church started, we're going to look at the very beginning of this church. From the point it started to this point, it's 40 years. This is the very last thing that we hear about the church of Ephesus in the cockpit of the church of Ephesus before it disappears completely. Okay, so we need to understand that before we get into this. They abandoned their first love, and then there was the threat of everything being taken away, that influence being taken away. So to understand where, how they got here, to the very last thing that we hear about this church, we've got to understand something about the beginning of how it started. So let's look at Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to give you kind of a short history because I don't want to go too much into this and, and get bogged down into the history of the church. But this is basically what, what had happened. Apollos had been teaching a number of, of people in that area. Apollos was a very learned man, uh, but he, there, there, was a, there was a problem. Apollos didn't know about Jesus' death and resurrection in his full understanding. Okay, So these people, Apollos left, and Paul came, and he found a group of people, a group of 12 people, that were very hardworking, very busy, very about um, their faith. The problem was, is Paul says, uh, do you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and his power? And he, they're like, we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. So they were very, very doctrinally sound in the Old Testament scriptures, but they did not have the Holy Spirit. They were not saved. So Paul explains to them what, what Jesus did for them on the cross and how he rose from the grave, and they willingly accepted it. So you had 12 people that were very faithful, that were lost, that became 12 saved people. And everything began to change from that point on. We're going to kind of see that. So 
what, what began to happen, once these people got saved, the Holy Spirit, God started doing amazing things through Paul's life. If you look in verses, uh, verses 8 through 12, you see that there were handkerchiefs that Paul had, snotty, nasty handkerchiefs that would touch people in their disease and people would be healed. Amazing things. The Bible says that an apron touched Paul and then it touched somebody else and, and they were healed of their disease. So it'd be like Tim up here with his, his nasty, sweaty rag and he sees somebody sneeze over there and just go throw it at them and hit them in the face and then they'd be healed of their allergies. Could you imagine that? That's, that's amazing things that, that God was doing through, through Paul. In fact, Paul would just walk by people and uh, there would be like an exorcism. People would, well, the demons would come out of people. So it's it amazing stuff that was happening at this time. But I want, you, I want to kind of show you in verse 13. This is where it gets really, really good. In fact, this is one of my favorite parts of Scripture in the whole, the whole Bible. I just love uh, God's humor sometimes. Let's look at verse 13. This is the very first days of the church. The Bible says in verse 13, A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. Stop right there. This was a group of itinerant exorcist Jews. They would go from town to town and raise money for themselves by casting out demons from people. Okay, so they come to Ephesus and they see amazing things that's going on through Paul. Keep on reading. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. So understand this. These are Jews that do not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, that are using Jesus' name and Paul's name to try to cast out demons from people. They're trying to use Jesus' name and Paul's name as magic words to get demons to obey them. You can imagine this. The truth is, is we do this from time to time. People use Jesus' name as magic words. You know, something bad happens. They, they, they do not follow Christ. They do not love Christ. But something bad happens in their life, and they're like, Oh, God! Jesus, help me! Jesus, take the will, you know, of my life. And the truth is, they don't even follow Jesus. We do the exact same things at times. Let's keep on going. This is good. I love this. I love this. It says, The seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. So there's seven of them. But one time, when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul. Okay, stop right there. I know Jesus. This demon says, I know what Jesus has done. I know him. And I know what Jesus has done through Paul. I've heard of that guy. He's bad news for us. Look at the next few words. But who are you? Who? Don't know you. And this, this phrase here just, it always makes me press into Christ more. Because my thoughts are, would the demons know what Jesus does through me? Would they know who I am? And so many times I'm like, Jesus, I need to press into you. Because the, the Greek here is they know Jesus by experience and they've heard of Paul. They've heard of what Jesus is doing through Paul. Would the demons be scared of you because of what Jesus is doing through your life? It just makes you press into Christ 
more. And then this is one of my favorite. Me and Lori were talking about this the other day in the office. Verse 16 says, Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Okay, get this picture in your mind. Okay, these seven guys are standing around this guy and like, in the name of Jesus and, and who Paul preaches, come out of him. And this guy's like, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? And they jump on the seven guys, this demon-possessed man does. Let me, I don't know if you watch UFC at all. I don't know how many UFC fans we got in here. UFC, is, it's, it's, it's something to be reckoned with. But usually the rule is in UFC is whoever gets bloody and battered and is beat down on the floor is the one that lost. Let me give you a rule of fighting. If you come to a fight with pants on, okay, and you leave the fight with no pants, you've lost, okay? You've lost bad. And that's exactly what has happened here. I love that. You know, the, the humor of the Bible sometimes is these guys left with no pants. So they got their tails whooped. Uh, but from this point on, we're going to kind of jump back and forth here a little bit. From this point on, the gospel explodes in Ephesus. It goes from 12 lost people to 12 saved people. And then the Bible talks about how the gospel spread to the whole region. And Ephesus was an enormous metropolitan area. It was one of the giant hubs of that time. It was one of the, where one of the seven ancient wonders of the world existed in the temple of Diana. And it, it's, it was a place where people came for sinful things. And the Bible says that the gospel exploded in that area. And we're going to see how and why that, that happened. In fact, the, city, the city's socioeconomic status completely shifted upside down. If you go to Ephesus today, they don't have billboards like we have billboards. But on the street, the marble streets, you can see where they did advertisements. And there was all, there, a lot of places in the city, they had a footprint and an arrow pointing in a direction. And that, or that, that footprint point footprint pointed in that direction with a little symbol there. And that meant this was the way that you go to a prostitute's house. That's what the city was built on. And those advertisements were everywhere. But also, not only those advertisements, but there were advertisements for churches. So if you went to the city of Ephesus, you were either going to, you were there for a couple reasons. You were there to go to prostitutes' houses or you were there to go to churches. That was this city. And when the gospel exploded here, it totally shifted the socioeconomic pattern of the city, and it caused a riot. They gathered in the, in the Colosseum there and was rioting against Paul and against the Christians because of what Jesus was doing in that city. It's amazing things. But what you're going to see in the history of Ephesus, that was the first days. What you're going to see over the next 40 years is this idea where they fought and they fought and they fought false teachers and they really did a good job at that. But the point that they had the hardest time with was their love for God and their love for each other. They were always doctrinally sound. They were always hard on false teachers. They were always standing for truth. But they could not get this idea of love. And let me show you a few passages. 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 through 19. You got to understand something. We're not even going to go to the book of Ephesus, but the book of Ephesus has more 
about love and loving others than any other book of the New Testament except for two. That's 1 John and 1 Corinthians. 1 John was written by John, which was an elder at Ephesus. Okay? 1 John was written by John, who was an elder at Ephesus. 1 Corinthians was written by the founding missionary of Ephesus from Ephesus. Okay? And then 1 Timothy, we're going to read a passage there. 1 Timothy, Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. So you can see all the books of the Bible in the New Testament that had everything to do with love were either written to the Ephesians, by the Ephesians, or from Ephesus. Okay? 1, Corinthians, or 1, Tim, 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. John's saying, if you look at the book of 1 John, he says, yes, you fight, you're fighting the false teachers, you're fighting these, these guys, you're doing a good job, but love, don't forget love. Love each other. Love God. Love him. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, the pastor at Ephesus says this, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. So he's reminding them why we do what we do. Why do we have sound doctrine? Why do we stand for truth? For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, particularly of all believers. He's saying we do this because we love Jesus, not because we just stand for truth. We love Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Written by Paul from Ephesus. So you can tell that this was on his mind. And I'm sure the Ephesians read this letter, probably. I would think so. It says this, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, and this is agape love, God love, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secrets and plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything to... I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body. If you remember in Ephesians or in, in Revelation chapter 2, it says they suffered. They suffered and didn't quit. It says, I could boast about, about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. It's just another reminder. It says, Yes, you can do these things, but remember love. Love Jesus. Love others. Don't forget about that. In fact, it's the most important thing. You may ask, why, why such emphasis on love? The first, the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with everything about you. It's balance. Yes, intellectual. Yes, body. Yes, spirit. Yes, everything that you can do to stand for the truth, but love. Love God with everything that you have within you. So let's look at the, the effects of love. 
Now, personally, you know, I'm thinking of me and my wife here. The, the effects of love personally are you're going to think about this person. You're going to spend time with that person. You're going to do things for that person. You're going to buy them things. You're going to want to be with them. It's focused on the person. That's what love personally is. But spiritually, it's the same thing. Just go right across. It's focused on the person of Christ. You want to spend time with that person. You want to think about that person, Jesus. You want to do things for that person, it's the same thing. And all the way through Scripture, we see people that have this almost, this longing and this desire that is so deep, it's almost like a torment that, that drives them to Christ. And I want you to look at a couple passages in particular. Look at, look at Psalm 42. Psalm 42. I know we're flipping a lot around, but I feel like the Scripture tells it a whole lot better than I can. And so many times, this, you know, David, David's one of these guys that, that's kind of as schizophrenic as we are. Me and my wife were talking about this. I said, I think David, or I think I'm like David a lot. Because if you've ever read the book of Psalms, you'll see things like, God, I long for you. I want to be with you. I, you know, I see you everywhere. You're, you're in my life and all this kind of stuff. And on the exact same page... Like two seconds later, he's like, I don't know where you are. Where are you, God? How many of y'all feel like that from time to time? You're like, I love Jesus so much. And then Monday morning comes, you're like, where is he? You know, that's the way David is. And it's so encouraging to look at the book of Psalms and see yourself there. Look at Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. And you can almost feel, feel where he is in this. He says, as the deer Longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? This is not a cute little phrase that we put on a coffee mug or a t-shirt with a deer and antler standing by a river. This is the psalmist saying, I got to have you in my life. I thirst for for you and you alone. I want you and nothing else. I've got to have that. Psalm 63, one of my absolute favorite passages. You can just hear the angst in his voice. He says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadows of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. Can you feel it? Can you feel what he's going through? And we were talking about this this morning. It's kind of interesting that, that David was running for his life here. He was in a cave running for his life. And he says nothing about those things. His circumstances didn't really matter at that point. All that matters is he wanted to cling to his God. All that mattered was is he wanted to know his God 
deeper. It was not about his circumstances. It was not about him. It was about the person that he was in love with. And it leads to, to changing. You think about it. The time that I spent with my wife, the time that I thought about her, the times that I was you know, lavishing gifts upon her and all these kind of stuff because I loved her, guess what happened? It changed my life. I got married because of it. I've got three little girls because of that. Because I love her. And it changes everything. Well, this love changed everything for the, the Ephesian community, the culture there. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus says this. You don't have to turn back there. He says this. You need to repent and do the first works. Do the things you did at first. Repent, turn back to me, and do the things you did at first. What are these things that you're supposed to do at first? Go back to Acts chapter 19. Verse 17. This is right after the guys ran with no pants on, got beat. Verse 17 says this, The story of what happened spread quickly, as it would, okay, all through Ephesus, to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Stop right there. Solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord was greatly honored. The idea is here is that they, they had such an awe for God. They understood who God was in His holiness. They understood who God was in His greatness and His majesty. And what that causes is this awe that came on them that forced them to worship Him. They lifted Jesus' name high because of the fear they had for God. And that is something that we as Americans see very little of. We like the emotional state. We like to feel good, but we forget about who God is. A lot of times we sit on this surface level with, with God, and we, only, we want to, only want to talk about His love. And yes, His love is, is amazing, but we forget that He's a holy God, that He hates sin. We forget that He is a just God. We forget that about His character. We don't dive down deep into to who God is. Remember that one of the ideas about first love is getting to know that person. And sometimes getting to know that person is dirty and sometimes it's dark and you see the skeletons in the closet, but you still love them. Getting to know God is, is a deep longing for Him. And you dig down deep into His character. And when you dig down deep into His character, something happens. Look at the next verse. It says this in verse 18. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. This area, this church, ended up with a culture of confession. When a revival begins to happen, it's not just because of a big emotional thing, but you start to get to know who God is. People start getting into the Word of God and, and, and finding out who God is. And when they do that, they see their sin. And they see their sin and they have to get that out of their life. They start confess, confessing their sin. It was a culture of confession. Isaiah chapter 6 talks about this. Isaiah saw God after King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw God high and lifted up. He saw the angels uh, praising God and saying, holy, holy, holy. He saw God in his holiness. He saw God like he had never seen him before. And then Isaiah says something. He sees God for who he is. And then Isaiah says, I am wicked. I am a sinful person. I am a man of filthy, dirty lips. 
And I live amongst a people that's just like me. He, he began to see his sin because he saw God the way God is. This is what love is. Where you grow deeper in your relationship with God and you love him for who he is. And by loving him, you see your sin. And I, I, me and my wife have been talking about it. I've, I've been really struggling lately mentally. I've been in this enormous battle with myself uh, I, I felt a huge, huge struggle, and I think, it's, I think it's for a reason. I think it's a huge test to see if I'll push myself into Christ or run away from it. And I've kind of found myself saying, that, you know, the, the further I press myself into Christ and the more I dig down into his word, the more I see the inadequacies, uh, inadequacies of me, and the more I realize I need him more. That's a good thing. Even though it's a struggle, even though it's a battle in my mind from day to day, and I look at myself and I say, I don't know what to do. And I press myself into him more, and then I look at myself and I say, God, I, I need you more. I've got to have you more. Press yourself. And this culture of confession landed on them, and it was a great thing. And then look at the next thing in the passage. It says, a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at the public bonfire. Now, I do not advocate burning books, okay? But you got to understand something about this culture. This burning of their books, these believers that were coming forward, they, they started confessing, and this confession wasn't just, I didn't read my Bible every day this week. These confessions were, I'm in sorcery. I'm a witch. I'm in deep, dark things. And so they brought their objects of idol worship and dumped them and burned them. They got rid of their idols, they loved Jesus. They began knowing who he was, and they started digging down deep, and they, they had this culture of confession, but it didn't stop there. And something that we forget a lot of times is, is sin is an affront to God, and he wants us to get it out of our lives instead of just confessing and saying, I'm dealing with this, and then going on unchanged. The people started bringing their idols and dumping them and burning them. If you look in, a, in, in Revelation chapter 2, those first verses were great things. But guess what? They were idols. The beginning of the church, all these believers, they were standing up for truth, and they were dumping these wicked, dark, deep, sinful idols and burning them. And as they got into the history of the church, they began to do some great things, standing up for truth, because they'd been so deep into non-truth and lies. They started working hard and suffering for Jesus. And in Revelation chapter 2, we see that they focused so much on those things, those good things, that those good things became their new idols. And they forgot about the love that they were supposed to have for Jesus. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're like the Ephesian church at the very beginning where you have those deep, dark idols that are sitting there waiting to be burned. Or I don't know if you're like the church at the end of its existence where it disappeared completely and you have a lot of good things under your belt. You teach Sunday school. You're a deacon. You're a pastor. You're a, a person that's been in the church since you were a baby. 
and you focus so much on those things where your mind never goes to Christ and what he's done and who he is and growing deep in that love, but you're, you're focusing so much on the ministry. You're focusing so much on the good things that you do. And the ministry can become an idol just like any kind of sin, any other kind of sin. And I beg you, just like the first love that you had with your wife or your husband and where you thought nothing about anything else but that person. You did nothing unless it was centered around that person. So many times we as Christians forget that whatever we do, everything that is about us, we're supposed to center it completely around Christ. And even good things can become idols at times. I don't know where you are in your faith. And you you may have never given your heart to Jesus. I promise you. The Christian life is not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about a person that wants to have a relationship with you. No matter how far down the road of sin or even goodness that you've gone, because the Bible says even our best days are filthy rags in his sight. He says, I want you to love me. Just accept him for what he's done for you and love him and love him. Don't get lost in the bad. Don't get lost in the good. Focus everything on Christ. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Is God looking at your life and saying, yes, you're doing some good things. You're doing some great things, man. You're teaching this class. You're doing this for these kids. You're doing this and this, and you're playing instruments, and you're preaching, and you're whatever. But I really don't care as much about that as I do you giving me your heart, your love, and falling back in love with me. I don't know how long it's been since you dug down deep into your relationship with God, and you were like, a, like David, begging, begging to know him more. When was the last time you sat there and God just broke your heart because you, you thought about his holiness and his goodness to you? You may be like the early Ephesians and have those things in your life that are totally dark. You know they're sinful. And you're holding on to those. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you stand to your feet? I don't know where you are. And, and you know, even, go ahead and stand. Even in my life, you know, I told Dawn the other day, I said, it's been a long time since the devil's got me with, with bad things, with sinful things. And, and, and now I feel like I'm struggling with good things. I feel like I get lost in the, in the good, and I make the good the idol instead of making Christ my everything. You know, if God has spoken to your heart, we're going to open up the altars. I believe there would be some deacons. If you, if you need prayer for, for healing, they'll be there to pray with you.